Welcome everyone to episode number 15. Let's talk about sex hormones relative to females. So we there is an abundance of hormonal issues in today's society, especially amongst women. Um, and the reason being that these hormones can like call it being in cahoots, I guess, if that's the right word, is because there's so many environmental factors that are playing into this, which I'll get into, but it's also things like birth control, for example. And so I'll give a little bit of detail. I won't get too technical into everything, um, but like kind of getting a little bit into the science of like the menstrual cycle and what the hormones do and whatnot to help explain um, things like why birth control create complications with hormones and such when one would think, well, most birth controls are hormones, so why am I having trouble with my hormones? So we're gonna talk about um, estrogen, progesterone mainly, and then a little bit of testosterone and DHEA. And so starting with like how hormones are created, you have your dietary fat intake, which then is converted by the liver into cholesterol. And please remember, I'm keeping this very simple, which then is converted into something called pregnenolone. And pregnenolone is the precursor to all your hormones. So if you had to look at it as like a tree, it's gonna trickle down into things like progesterone and like testosterone. So when you have like your menstrual cycle, that's where majority of the progesterone is gonna be created, which I'll get into, but pregnenolone will also feed into testosterone, which then can aromatize into estrogen as well. So this is like when you're talking things like polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometrius, they can come back with high testosterone levels, uh, but also high uh, estrogen levels due to the aromatization. Um, and there could be many factors as to as why they are over overly aromatizing that testosterone. Um, I have I did a podcast on PCOS. I'll put the link up here for those watching the video if you want to check that out. Uh, give you a little more insight on polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, but starting with estrogen, let's look at it as estrogen gets a bad name because we like oh estrogen related cancers and water retention and this malfunction or whichever. Right? Estrogen is super important obviously just with what ranges it should be in optimal healthy ranges so we don't want to completely just like tank estrogen especially as a female but even males like when you're talking males in estrogen like both female and male you're talking muscle development and maintenance you're talking bone development and maintenance you're talking mood you're talking um, like insulin sensitivity so your ability to uh, metabolize carbohydrates and such uh, it's very very important and in terms of females it's super super important for the health of the reproductive system uterine lining and so on and which many of us are aware so by trying to like tank your estrogen you're going to run into a lot of health complications and so we need to find an optimal balance and you hear a term being thrown around a lot which is called estrogen dominance and one of my mentors actually had like a good saying and he didn't agree with that term because like women are supposed to have more estrogen they're supposed to be quote-unquote estrogen dominant and what I think these healthcare professionals or coaches and everything are referring to with that estrogen dominance 
is when every other hormone is like low or tanked. So your DHEA, your progesterone, your testosterone, your androgens, but estrogen is up. So then that's what they're classifying as estrogen dominance. But the thing is, is you could have all those other hormones where they should be at optimal levels, but have higher estrogen. And then you're going to go, oh, well, that's estrogen dominance. It kind of doesn't fall into the same category. So you need to be cautious that you're not just kind of like diagnosing yourself or anyone with estrogen dominance and then tackling estrogen dominance via, you know, whatever protocols you use when it's not really quote unquote estrogen dominance, right? Um, Because there's a difference of addressing like true estrogen dominance and addressing just a little bit higher levels of estrogen. Um, So that's really important. Um, But when we're talking about estrogen as well, in terms of like pregnancy and everything, it's the strength and everything of the uterine lining. Uh, It is very important. Hormones are going to be heightened during pregnancy. Uh, And so once again, we don't want to just like eliminate estrogen, right? You're just, you're just asking for complications with the baby and so on and so forth. So essentially where I am going with this is let's not give estrogen such a bad name, right? Um, Another reason it gets a bad name is because we have a lot of endocrine disruptors in our environment. And so you're talking plastics, BPAs, uh, you know, things from nonstick cookware, uh, pollutants, everything. Uh, You also have mycotoxins and those are heavily like they will heavily mimic things, especially estrogen. So what happens is, is you're not actually getting true estrogen to do what needs to be done or what to do what estrogen does in the body in terms of health and vitality and function. Um, And so what happens is you get high levels of estrogen in the blood and then you struggle to eliminate that estrogen and that in return gives off things like these estrogen dominant symptoms um, and estrogenic cancers and so on and so forth because the body is having trouble ridding of this estrogen that is not usable or healthy for the body. Um, even like your good estrogen, when it's done with, it's got to go. It has to get out of there because then it becomes bad. It becomes toxic and you recirculate it and you cause lots of complications. Um, so there's like estrogen detox pathways and stuff, which I'll get into a little bit more later, but let's go on to progesterone. So progesterone is something that many, many women are, uh, we'll say low or deficient in, or well, not deficient, but we'll say low levels of progesterone. Um, when I think of deficiency, I think of like nutrient ingestion, but you could probably use the same terminology. We'll say many women struggle with low levels of progesterone. Uh, we'll, we'll still get to birth control, but let's say away from birth control, it is because of stress. And when I say stress, I think I've said this in almost every podcast, everything I've made, I'm talking environments, I'm talking relationships, I'm talking food, I'm talking gut health, I'm talking everything. Anything that could place exercise, especially exercise is huge. And the reason being, because remember how I was talking about pregnenolone is the precursor to all your hormones? Well, you have something that is known or something that can occur within the body is known as the pregnenolone steel. And this happens in men as well. And instead of the pregnenolone going to progesterone, that it falls a different pathway, which goes to cortisol. You need cortisol to survive. And stress, how you respond to that is with the secretion of cortisol. And so if you don't have, if you have like an overabundance of stress and you don't have the necessary 
resources to create that cortisol via other mechanisms, you're going to steal from pregnenolone to create that cortisol. And then that's why a lot of women have very low levels of progesterone. This is where like uh, progesterone is heavily responsible for promoting things like GABA, gamma immunobetric acid, which is your calming neurotransmitter. So women with low progesterone struggle with things like anxiety and nervousness and anxious, um, um, like agitation, sorry. And so when you look at also your cycles and, and you see that women are kind of like ending up late, that could be one of the mechanisms where they have irregular cycles is they're just not producing enough progesterone to stimulate menses. And so that's why your doctor or even myself, I have done this with clients on several occasions and continue to do so, is if they don't have a cycle, you give them like a bolus dose of progesterone, you bring those levels up and you only do that for a couple days and then you pull that progesterone and when those levels start to kind of like, let's say match the estrogen, that will kind of, that's one way to stimulate menses and that will help them have a cycle. Um, and so that's actually quite a few doctors will use that tool. It's also why they put you on birth control though. And, um, might as well get into birth control then because I keep mentioning it, how birth, most birth controls work is they are synthetic hormones. And what happens is you have your follicular stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone. And so your follicular stimulating hormone obviously stimulates the follicles to create estrogen. So that's why when you look at days one through 14, you're getting a higher FSH response because that's where you have higher estrogen. Then you have that ovulation window. That's where LH, luteinizing hormone, has a big jump to stimulate the growth of something known as the corpus luteum, which will then stimulate progesterone. So then you get this heightened progesterone response. And then as mentioned, when it comes down, that's what stimulates menses. Well, if you are taking progesterone in synthetic form, or even bioidentical, you're not necessarily going to get that luteinizing hormone response. And so then you're not going to necessarily build the, or like go through the functions of what is required to have a cycle. And so like build that corpus luteum and whatnot. And so that is where you, you like, that's how birth control works, right? It's also like they have progesterone, just progesterone forms. They have just estrogen forms. They have a both progesterone and estrogen. They have many types of birth control. But essentially what it does is it stops the signaling so you don't go through the process of being able to have a baby is a very simple way to put that. But the problem with that is, is one, in the context of hormones, you become desensitized, right? Because those, those FSH and LH signals do more than just that. And so what happens is when you're not signaling them, you become desensitized and receptors become desensitized. It's the same with like any medication, any psychology medication, any um, thyroid medication, your receptors become desensitized. There's like, we'll call it negative feedback loops. And then what happens is, cause you'll run like a Dutch test, which is a dried urinalysis test for comprehensive hormones. Um, I ran quite a few of those with clients and they'll be on synthetic hormones like birth control and they'll come back with no hormones <laughs> or they'll come back with like high estrogen, but no progesterone, even though they are on a progesterone birth control. And that is because of the desensitization of the receptors. So 
you have that aspect, but then you also have the aspect of uh, birth control really messes with your guts. It really creates nutrient deficiencies, which significantly impacts your thyroid. So it's just a whole cascade of problems. And and I've had this conversation with people before about um, birth control. And at the end of the day, um, I truly believe that women should not be on birth control, uh, but understanding you don't want to have a baby, um, but also to like, there may be a select portion of the female population that will actually have a better life on birth control. That'd be something genetic or like a pituitary issue where they're not, or like a hypothalamus issue where they're not getting those signals and whatnot. Um, so that is, there's a small amount, but most women don't need it. The reason doctors put them on birth control, other than the fact that just they don't want to get pregnant, is when they're having, you know, poor periods and stuff and like painful and like all those symptoms. And the reality is they're going to feel better initially because they're getting those spikes in hormones, which are going to help overall vitality. But the chronic duration of women staying on birth control is ultimately what leads to all the health complications that you are seeing in today's society with women. And so, um, big thing comes because of how much it affects the guts and the thyroid and the liver, you have poor estrogen clearance. So that's where a lot of like issues are coming from. And I put up a little pop quiz, um, on my Instagram story and, and asking, uh, like why are women 80% more likely to contract an autoimmune disease than men? And it's because of what estrogen does to the immune system. Higher levels of estrogen can suppress things like TH1 or they can create overactivity or just the poor detoxification of estrogen can result in inflammatory pathways, proliferating things like cancer cells or damaging the gut lining more and stuff like that. So uh, for those that don't know, an autoimmune disease is when your immune system attacks your own tissues. and a very high reason that occurs is one is because of gut health and your tight junctions become compromised. And so these molecules, molecules like protein molecules will get through and they can closely resemble tissues within your body. And so when uh, you constantly are like setting off this immune system due to poor gut health, eventually the immune system, you know, the adaptive immune system reacts to, okay, well, this molecule is constantly creating issues for us. So we need to fight it every single time now. And it's like, oh, that kind of looks like your thyroid or that kind of looks like your ovaries or that kind of looks like your myelin sheath or whichever, right? That is one way uh, that can occur. And the estrogen levels can create that poor gut health as well. So this is one of the reasons why women are much more likely to contract an autoimmune disease than men. So kind of going off here, <laughs> um, getting back to like the hormones and the birth control and everything. So essentially birth control works by like the very, very simplistic way of looking at it is by reducing the signaling that stimulates processes and mechanisms in the body to create the optimal environment to conceive um, uh, like seed in the egg and so on and so forth, right? But over time, it desensitizes these receptors and creates, you know, quite a few issues. Um, so, and then you talk about, like I said, the, the pregnenolone steel, 
excessive stress. This is why excessive training is very bad. Excessive training and under eating is very bad for females. This is why you look at like a lot of, a lot of bodybuilder competitors haven't had their cycle for years and years. Um, one, because of, you know, there's performance enhancing drugs that are involved, but also two, just the chronic dieting is ultimately leading to like no production in these hormones. But the thing is, is like the reason they continue to get the results is because they're still getting things like testosterone. And so that's going to be, that's going to be responsible for like the, once again, muscle growth, bone growth, muscle maintenance, libido, energy, mood. And so they kind of go through and they, they're fine in these other aspects, but they don't have other hormones, you know, supporting their health and vitality. And so it's, as a competitor, you should still like to be a healthy female, you need to have a cycle. That is the reality of it. And I mean this wholeheartedly, purely in scientific terms, right? Like the females were meant to have babies, right? And that's like, please understand, I'm talking like from a biological standpoint, like no woman ever has to have a baby. That's a personal choice. I'm just meaning like the way the body, the biology, the physiology is set up is to reproduce. So when that gets compromised, that starts to affect a lot of other systems. And so this is why once again, birth control is bad. Chronic dieting is bad and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so those are your two main ones when we're talking like, especially the menstrual cycle. And so now if we're going to talk about things like, you know, uh, DHEA, for example, is another one. Think of DHEA as your anti-aging hormone. And once again, DHEA is produced by the adrenal glands. So if you are chronically stressed, you are chronically exercising, you're not eating enough food, your adrenals are constantly pumping out cortisol, you're also not going to produce enough DHEA, which is going to really impact your um, energy and your mood. It also feeds into your androgens, which in healthy levels, once again, support libido, energy, mood, muscle tissue growth muscle maintenance, all those kind of things. So now that uh, brief and kind of tangent explanation on hormones, <laughs> uh, quick recap, you got your estrogen, uh, reproductive health, carbohydrate metabolism, energy, uh, sex drive, um, things like that. Progesterone, that's your calming. Uh, progesterone is also responsible for fat metabolism. Um, that one is very, very important. And as mentioned, most females are lacking in that. So now you go, okay, well, you could run a Dutch test. You can do blood work, okay? But blood work isn't super efficient um, because it's just what's in the blood. So your best bet for testing hormones is urine. Um, to be brutally honest, I'm not 100% sure what doctors do in Canada. I don't believe they do urine tests for hormones. Someone could correct me if I'm wrong. I just usually go for a Dutch test because they're one of the best uh, for dictating hormones. Uh, and there's some people out there that kind of argue like the efficacy of a Dutch test. Um, but the reality is, is I've received Dutch tests. We've looked at what's going on and we address the symptoms and we correct a lot of things. Now, I'm not as big as an advocate of Dutch test anymore. And the reason being is because um, your hormones are going to be off. Like look at it as a ladder. Your hormones are going to be off more near the top 
because of something at the bottom of the ladder. So we go for the bottom of the ladder first. That's usually why I start with gut health or like looking at toxic overload and whatnot. Um, because as mentioned, toxins, environmental pollutants, and so on and so forth are going to really disrupt hormones. So you look at that first and then it's like, okay, we've done a really we've done a lot of work on that aspect. There might be, you know, my cycle still isn't the greatest. Okay, maybe let's run a Dutch test now. But most of the times when you take care of the gut health and you take care of the toxin exposure and you improve the, the liver's ability to detoxify, hormones kind of correct themselves and you eat more food and you train less and you just go through all those steps. Um, so like it's, it's kind of rare that I Dutch test now. Uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, 100%. I would just to see what form you have of polycystic ovarian syndrome, which helps us work better on things, but I would still prefer a GI map first. But anyways, so when we're talking about like too much estrogen, you're gonna talk about like painful periods. You're gonna talk about like irregular periods. You're gonna look at things like acne and fibroids. Um, what else? Like you could have low sex drive, even though estrogen is responsible for sex drive, too high of estrogen. Um, can result in low sex drive. Uh, when you get those tender breasts, that's usually signs of too much estrogen uh, circulating in the system. And so why do we have too much estrogen, right? And so actually, sorry, let me also comment. Um, estrogen will like, estrogen will really affect the thyroid as well. And that is due to the fact that estrogen will like increase thyroid binding globulin. So you can't, so it takes that inactive form and it's not freeing it to the active form is a simple way of putting it. So then this is where high levels of estrogen can create hypothyroidism and, and whatnot and a lot of other thyroid issues. Um, and then you also have things like histamines. Um, you know, a lot of people associate that with allergies and stuff. So high levels of um, estrogen can lead to things like brain fog, congestion, um, you know, rashes, hives, things like that. Um, so that's when you're looking at too much estrogen. So now... How do we optimize estrogen? Well, one, you have to figure out why is your estrogen too high, okay? Is it toxic exposure? Is it toxic burden? Is it mycotoxin burden, biotoxic overburden? Um, is it like birth control, hormones? Are you taking testosterone? Like there's a few, you have to figure out, like you gotta start breaking down, okay, why would my estrogen be high? Um, there's, there's the extremes, but there's pituitary issues, you know, uh, too much FSH signaling, things like that. Um, you know, eating copious, you would have to eat copious amounts of certain estrogenic foods to promote too much estrogen, but it is possible. It is totally possible to do that, but you'd have to eat like copious amounts. So like I had a conversation last night with a client where I said something about edamame beans and he said, hell no, because of soy. Uh, you would have to be eating a lot of edamame beans to overproduce estrogen. <laughs> um, so, but those are some of the uh, main ones. Like toxic exposure is probably the main one, which also in conjunction with poor detoxification of estrogen. So you just have trouble getting out of your system. So why would you have trouble getting out of your system is once again, going back to the gut health and the liver health because you, that's, you detoxify through gut, liver, and colon mainly obviously sweating and, and urine and such, but you have something, you have an enzyme in your body known as beta-glucuronidase. And there are several reasons as to as why you can have higher levels of beta-glucuronidase, but beta-glucuronidase in terms of estrogen is 
like let's say you're done with that estrogen, you throw it in a garbage bag and you tie it in a fancy little bow and you send it on its way out. And when it reaches the colon, if you have high levels of beta-glucuronidase, it goes in and it unties that bow and it releases that estrogen back into the system. So then it continues to circulate. But this, it also, beta-glucuronidase, it also does bacteria, uh, toxins, inflammagens. And so you just constantly recirculate things. Right? And then when you have these endocrine disruptors, think of them as sitting on the cell, not letting estrogen bind. So then it just floats in the system and creates these high estrogen dominant symptoms. So how we improve the clearance now long term would be looking at the guts, right? Do you have some form of overgrowth? Is there something, you know, toxic burden, whatnot? So take a look at your gut, see where you're at. You may have to do a five R program. I'll take the link up here. I did a video on that, uh, getting rid of bacteria and whatnot repopulating the gut. So start with that. But then you got to look probably in conjunction with your guts, you got to look at the liver, right? Are you detoxifying properly? And so the simple way to break down that is we have three detox phases. Number one is think of it as you're going around your house and you're collecting your kitchen garbage, your bathroom garbage, and so on. And you're getting it all ready to take it outside. That is phase one. That's going to be heavily reliant like on nutrients and, and things like superoxidized dismutase and stuff like that. You can find that in goji berries. Uh, stage uh, Phase one isn't too, too difficult. Um, caffeine can help with phase one, but if you're backed up in phase two, which most people are, caffeine actually becomes a problem. It speeds up CYP enzymes and creates issues. Um, but you could read that caffeine does help with phase one. But phase one is just a relatively clean nutrition plan. Phase two, that is where we're talking that you're taking that garbage that you collected and you're taking it out to the curb. And you're getting, it's there now waiting for the garbage truck so you never see it again. A lot of people struggle with phase two. And the reason being is because phase two is heavily reliant on a process known as methylation. Um, if you've been following me for a bit now, I mentioned methylation quite a bit. Super important for detoxification. I believe 60% of the population struggles with methylation issues. As mentioned, birth control really messes with methylation. Any medication will mess with methylation. Nutrient deficiencies, stress, environmental toxins, you name it, will disrupt the methylation cycle. So you will not have the ability to take your trash out of your house. It just keeps piling up within your house. Okay. Um, also heavily relying on glutathione, which is going to be significantly impacted by methylation. So if you have poor methylation, you can most likely guarantee you have poor glutathione production, right? And then you can look at something like supplementing N-acetylcysteine to help with the glutathione production, but there is poor absorption. There's other mechanisms. Uh, I'm not saying don't supplement NAC. It just might not be the most efficient, but it still can be a wonderful supplement for quite a few people. But if you're like on that extreme level, you might need to do just straight glutathione. And for me personally, I inject glutathione. It's probably the best way. Uh, the reason I do it is because it's probably, it's the cheapest way to do it as well, because if you go to a naturopath, it's like ridiculously expensive, but glutathione is so, so important. If you have any like gut issue, um, stress issue, hormone issue, whatever, you're gonna want glutathione. It's super, super powerful. It's one of the body's most powerful antioxidants. So if you cover those, that's gonna cover phase two, plus also just nutrient dense. Then phase three, that's your garbage truck. That's your incinerator. That's taking it away and you're never seeing it again. And that's going to be responsible for, or like, so things like fiber and bile and whatnot are going to be responsible for phase three. So your colon, really. This is why having a bowel movement every single day is so important. Because if you are not, you are just continuously recycling inflammagens, toxins, and estrogens and creating a whole cascade of health complications. So it's important 
to have a bowel movement, bowel movement every single day. So one, yes, you could look at increasing fiber for that phase three detoxification. But if you have an overgrowth, you could feed into that. So you have to be cautious with that. But you could look at supplementing ox bile to help with that bowel production because if you're in this state, you most likely have congested biliary ducts. So you're not producing the most adequate amounts of bile, which is resulting in those kind of issues. Um, and so to improve that secretion, just look at uh, supplementing ox bile, but also just like overall taking care of the liver. So there are medical foods that I use to support all three of those detox pathways. And the more sciencey way of looking at, at that is, is you're just taking fat soluble toxins and breaking them down into more water soluble toxins so you can excrete them through the urine and feces and so on um, is how detoxification works. Um, and like, I should really be doing a whole like YouTube video or podcast on detoxification because it's a lot more important than people think. Um, so for example, like when you run into health complications or like, let's say, cause everybody loves, everybody's so focused on fat loss when trying to lose fat, if you're not detoxifying properly, which is quite common, you're not going to burn fat because you just continuously are recycling these toxins because they're stored in fat cells. So as you're in a caloric deficit, you're releasing these toxins into the system. And if you don't have the necessary means to detoxify them, then you're just going to continuously recirculate them. Okay. So if you, <laughs> okay. So if you have a sense of like too much estrogen, you got to focus on gut health. You got to focus on liver health and you just got to make sure you're clearing that estrogen and decrease your toxic exposure, right? You have some extreme levels of like high mycotoxin and biotoxin burden. That's going to require lots of like a pro like a protocol to help rid of that and that's you're getting into more extreme stuff but that's not uncommon like it's quite it's more common than people realize but simplicity is like look at clearing out estrogen um things like calcium deglucurate can help with uh lowering beta glucuronidase levels okay but i'll say it a thousand times please consult your physician or healthcare provider um, or professional before you take any of these supplements to address any of this stuff okay because there's also like dim um and that's a good way for draining estrogen. But the thing is, is once again, you could drain too much estrogen, or if you're not methylating properly, you could be draining out your, like your, cause you got three forms of estrogen. You got your estrone, which is your kind of least active estrogen. You have your estradiol, which is your healthiest queen bee estrogen. Then you have your estriol, which is like a less effective estrogen. Um, and like things like caffeine can convert from your good estrogen to your less effective estrogen, for example, toxins, anything that speeds up what's known as the CYP3A4 enzyme. Uh, trying to, I'm getting a little technical here. I do apologize if I'm losing some people. So like just when it comes to estrogen clearance, you have to cover all your steps because as mentioned, if you're taking things like DIM, you could be you know, draining to one part, but then you're running into a clog again, which would be like your methylation, for example. So then you're just backing everything up. So you do dim long enough and you've cleared out estrogen, but then it's just making its way back up the pipe. And then you end up with high estrogen again. That's, that's what happened to me. That's what I did. I was doing all this estrogen clearance, but not fully supporting methylation. And so I had like these estrogen dominant symptoms but I didn't have any healthy estrogen, but that's because I was backing up into these proliferating inflammatory pathways because my drains were clogged is one way of looking at it. Okay. So now let's talk too little of estrogen. <laughs> too little of estrogen is going to result in like hot flashes and mood swings. 
and where hot flashes come, and this is like for you menopausal women, is because if there's low estrogen, you're going to get more uh, FSH signaling because it's trying to produce that estrogen. So that's what's gonna, that's one of the reasons you can create a hot flash. And that's why a lot of menopausal women struggle with hot flashes. So that's why taking hormones, because all of a sudden the body recognizes that there's estrogen. So it stops secreting so much FSH and you don't get those hot flashes. Okay. Um, but you're also talking with low estrogen, you're talking low sex drive. You're talking, you can even have frequent urinary tract infections. You're talking like bone and joint health compromisation. You're talking uh, loss of muscle mass. Um, like even fat retention um, can can occur with too low of estrogen. You think, okay, well, lower estrogen, I have less fat retention. Too low can create fat retention as well. Poor carbohydrate metabolism, um, vaginal dryness, so painful sex and whatnot. So those are a lot of the common symptoms of low estrogen and so now what do we do how do we optimize low estrogen right once again you gotta look at well why would i have low estrogen am i over exercising and under eating most likely and have i been on birth control for a long time am i desensitizing those receptors okay should i just take estrogen maybe acutely but you have to see why you're not producing enough estrogen. In most cases, when women are not producing enough estrogen, it's because they are not eating enough food and they are overtraining. They're not sleeping enough and they're over anxious. So you take care of the stress aspect. You go minimal training to no training and you start ramping up your food. Over time, you can start producing more estrogen. You could That's where you could bring in more estrogenic foods or under the right context and the right supervision, you could take bioidentical estrogen for a certain period of time to bring that up and just help you feel better and be more committed to a, a nutritional protocol or whatever to help the long-term solution of this. Um, so, but there's also like genetics and diseases and stuff, but the most common reason women have low estrogen is birth control and overtraining and under eating. So if it's those three, those are pretty easy to solve. Sorry, I shouldn't say pretty easy. On paper, they're pretty easy. Understandably so. Well, I obviously don't understand I'm not a female, but psychologically, it could be very difficult for a female to come off birth control um, or it could be very difficult for a female to pull their training and eat more food. But that's something that you, know, you really want to focus on. Okay, how am I going to achieve this? What am I going to do with my psychology? What can I do to promote the this protocol for me eating more food and training because that's the hardest part theoretically it's really easy to train less and eat more from a physical standpoint <laughs> from a psychological standpoint that's where it's the kicker okay so that's what you kind of just have to like kind of figure out that so when it comes to progesterone it's very very unlikely someone will have too high of progesterone um but if you were to have too high of progesterone what like I actually truly don't know of anyone who's ever had high progesterone. Uh, what I know from my own experience of taking too much progesterone um, is cranky. You get really cranky and irritable. You get very, very moody. <laughs> um, but as for the long term to have that, I'm not entirely sure, to be fully honest. Um, would have to do some research behind that. But I've never encountered that. So that's something that I've never really had spent the time and energy into saying, okay, well, what are the symptoms of too high progesterone? Um, why could have someone could have too high progesterone? Once again, taking progesterone, too much of it, or maybe some genetic thing that's occurring and they're really stimulating progesterone or something, but it's very far pressed for someone to have too high progesterone. But from what I know right now, we're talking irritability 
um, is what kind of occurs. Lots of anger if you take too much progesterone or have too much progesterone. But in terms of low progesterone, which is extremely common, uh, the most common symptom of that can be things like anxiety and poor sleep. Because as mentioned, progesterone produces GABA, calming neurotransmitter. So you're not getting those calming effects, but you can also get things like hypothyroidism. You can also have like, uh, um, sorry, brain fart. My dog is distracting me. <laughs> um, look at pregnancy, like difficult getting pregnant and like miscarriages. Mis like the one of the most common causes of miscarriages is low progesterone. And this is why it's important to be in a healthy state prior to conceiving a child or a baby because that's what's, if you're not, you're going to increase the risk. So if you're like super stressed out, right. And you go in and you conceive a baby, like the risk of miscarriage is very high. So you could like, you could take progesterone, obviously consult, you know, your doctor and everything, but you could take progesterone, but ultimately just eat more food, eat more healthy food, um, and whatnot. Um, and obviously don't overtrain. There are some women that train quite a bit while pregnant, um, yes, that is very healthy, but you could also overdo it. So just kind of listen to your body. But yeah, low levels of progesterone are heavily responsible for miscarriages. Um, you're talking about like chronic fatigue, poor fat metabolism, you know, so just poor fat burning in general. Um, what else we're talking? Um, if you're talking in context of like hypothyroidism, you're going to look at like hair loss and stuff. And so there's quite a few symptoms that could fit into too low of progesterone. And so now how do we optimize progesterone is usually what I do is I supplement progesterone as the acute, uh, like addressing it acutely. I will supplement progesterone. So days with females with regular cycles, we do days like 15 to 26, for example, they will take progesterone before bed. Right. And then that will help them improve their overall quality of life to get through the process required to naturally bring up progesterone levels. You can do things like chasperry as well. Like, like chasperry has been shown to promote progesterone levels as well. Um, but at the end of the day, it's managing your stress. So whatever that may be, whether that is physical or mental or like, you know, uh, toxins, whatever, managing your stress, you're using less cortisol, you are training less, and you are eating more food. If your low progesterone is coming from birth control, most of the time when women see their hormones on birth control, that's enough incentive for them to come off of birth control. And then so what you want to do though with coming off birth control is if you're under eating and overtraining, do not come off birth control. Start eating more and, st and training less and do that for two, three months and then come off birth control. Your risk of negative effects coming off birth control are going to be significantly lowered by doing that, okay? But that same protocol is what you use to naturally bring up progesterone as well. It's just eating more food, increasing dietary fats, making sure that fat metabolism is there, like whether that's looking at the digestion or whichever, and that is how you can naturally bring up progesterone. But in most cases, most women are safe to supplement progesterone acutely to help kind of bring up, you know, motivation, vitality, calm their anxiety and whatnot, um, and then commit to the protocol required to naturally bring that up in the long term. Okay, um, and like I said, you would be—it's 
extremely, I cannot emphasize that enough. It is extremely common for women to have low progesterone. We are in such a stressful society. We are overburdened by our environments. We are under eating. We're not getting enough nutrients from our food and overtraining because everybody wants to have a beach body. It is extremely, extremely common for women to have low progesterone. So to finish up here, I'll talk a little more about, I'll talk a little more about testosterone and uh, DHEA um, because they are, you know, vital to an overall health and well-being and menstrual cycles and whatnot. Um, so when it comes to like promoting more testosterone, once again, majority of that is probably coming um, from the adrenal glands. Then um, your ovaries will create some as well. But uh, once again, it's just eating. It's just eating enough food. It's eating enough fats, giving the body the necessary resources in order to produce this testosterone. Now, obviously, from a genetic standpoint, it's not like you're going to overproduce testosterone naturally unless you contract something like polycystic ovarian syndrome or have some genetic thing going on. Um, so you don't have to worry about like becoming too bulky, manly, growing facial hair and all that kind of stuff. Um, but... Uh, so once again, it's just eating more food and managing your stress. And same with DHEA because DHEA is produced by the adrenal glands, which is a precursor to like your androgens and testosterone. So having optimal levels of that is also how you keep those up, which will also contribute to optimal levels of estrogen. So it's, it's all like, think of it as a, it's all interconnected, right? I'll start over with the pathways or the, well, the hormone tree, we'll call it. You got your dietary fats. You got your liver, which converts it to cholesterol, and then that cholesterol is converted to pregnenolone, and then that pregnenolone will go to progesterone and things like testosterone and DHEA, and then that will go into your estrogen is kind of how that works. Um, so that's why like having optimal levels of testosterone will produce healthy estrogen, um, rather where most women and men have estrogen levels due to toxic overburden and such. So... So yeah, when it comes to optimizing hormones um, is one, if you're on birth control, definitely think about that, what you want to do with that, have a talk with your doctor, your significant other or whoever, you know, and decide if this is something that you want to be on. Um, but ultimately birth control does create a lot of health complications for women. Um, like women can become biased to it because it, it could initially help them. Um, as mentioned, it could take away lots of, you know, uh, painful periods and whatnot, but you have to ask yourself, why am I having a painful period? You are not having a painful period because you're not on birth control. And, and I, and I promise you, I am trying to be most genuine heartily because I have been attacked before for speaking about women and their hormones. I have absolutely no idea what it feels like. Right. I've had high estrogen before and I've cried a lot, <laughs> but I have no idea what it feels like to have a uterus to bleed. I don't like I have no idea. And in no way, shape or form am I saying I understand that by any means. Just the, like theoretically on paper, what's occurring with cycles and hormones and everything. Um, if you have painful periods, bloating, you know, all this kind of stuff around your cycle, moods, low energy, something else is going on. It's, it's not normal. It's not how a woman is supposed to be. Um, and once again, like I, I, I have been attacked for that um, because I don't have to live with that, but you shouldn't have to either. Any female shouldn't have, there is a way. And this is something where doctors kind of just resort to birth control because it does work acutely. It does work. If you're having painful periods and you go on birth control, next thing you know, bam, 
your, your painful periods kind of go away because you now have more hormones and you're having a healthier menstrual cycle or you're not having a period at all. <laughs> right. And so that is why I understand a lot of women could become biased towards birth control just from what they have expressed to me. Um, and so, but if you can come off birth control, that is ultimately what's going to promote your healthiest lifestyle. Um, and then like looking at the liver and the guts, making sure that that estrogen is being detoxified and that things are being cleared out um, and not recirculating. And that's more than just estrogen. That's like I said, that's toxins, inflammagens and so on and so forth, right? Um, and so like promoting bowel movements and fiber and, and just, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff to make sure that it's getting out of your body. And then when it comes to the progesterone and your testosterone and your DHEA, make sure that you are eating enough food, do not starve yourself, and that you are not overtraining, okay? If you are one of these females that is in that boat that needs to lessen their training and eat more food, what you could do is, one, I would just purely stop training. <laughs> That's what I try to, um, you know, I negotiate with my female clients about that. It's like, hey, look, let's just take one week and not train. And the way I set up the nutrition, they don't gain this excessive amount of weight or anything. They actually end up losing weight half the time. Um, and so then that kind of promotes the, like, oh, wow, okay, that kind of promotes the compliancy. They just needed that other authority to say, hey, look, you shouldn't train this week because on their own, it's very difficult. You're going to be your worst coach. <laughs> it's very difficult to coach yourself, right? Um, but so if you're one of these females, I would, I would pull training for at least a week. And if it's extreme cases, you might have to be a couple weeks. But if you physically or sorry, mentally cannot wrap your head around that, try to knock it down to two times a week. If you can't do that three times a week, but that's it. No more than three times a week. And when you go in there, go in there and just do some powerlifting stuff. Do anywhere from, you know, one to three reps, maybe up to eight. Take long rest periods. Enjoy your time there. Chat with some friends. Don't overdo it. There's no reason to be like running out of breath and sweating and, and not able to walk afterwards or anything. There's no reason for that. You're just burning through more hormones. You're just creating more inflammation. Okay. So go down three times a week with very low volume and start bringing your food up, bring it up by like a hundred calories a week, 200 if you can. And what you can do is like, let's say you're not sure how many calories you should be eating. Um, I've gone over the Harris Benedict equation before. Um, I'll take it up here um, in my caloric deficit video. And like input your uh, information into the Harris Benedict and it will say that your basal metabolic rate is let's say it's 2,100 calories. That's what you should be eating at least for like six months to restore these hormones. Okay. Some people are different. Some people can do it in two months. I've helped, I've helped a female with like absolutely tanked hormones, bring her period back in three weeks. Total freaking like miracle though. That does not happen. Right. Total miracle, but that could be you. Right. And so like, don't lose hope, but like spend that extended period of time eating food and training less and promoting that hormone production. And you're going to feel so much better. And yes, you can supplement, you can supplement DHEA, you can supplement estrogen, you can supplement testosterone, you can supplement progesterone, but check your levels, check your levels before you supplement them. Do not let anybody tell you freaking different as you can like, so doctors never check levels before they start prescribing hormone therapy, check your levels before so you have a baseline to go from, whether that be blood work or a Dutch test. Use these hormones for a little bit of time. Once again, consult your professional healthcare provider, so on and so forth. 
and then check your levels again, making sure you're not, because once again, if all of a sudden you have too much estrogen and you're not detoxifying it properly, or you know, you have too much DHEA and you're getting irritable and you're causing issues, and the next thing you know, you got acne and stuff like that. So check your levels. So important, check your levels. I cannot stress that enough. Okay. And then if you run in those instances where you take something like estrogen, and you don't feel better, once again, that is due to the poor clearance. Because I work with a handful of menopausal females and I tell them, look, for you to live your best life and get the results that you have come to me for, you need to do hormone replacement therapy. I'm sorry, there is no way around that. You need to do hormone replacement therapy. But then when you Google hormone replacement therapy, you get all this like estrogenic, like it causes cancers. You get, you read hormone therapy causes cancer, right? That is not due to estrogen per se, that is due to the poor clearance of estrogen. So you make sure that your gut health is on par, that your liver is on par, your colon, your kidneys, and your sweating. You don't have to worry about those estrogenic cancers unless it's some crazy genetic thing. But how do you figure that out? You do a Dutch test, you see where your levels are at. That will tell you exactly whether or not you need to worry or whether or not you need to change some things in order to make sure that you're not going to get these negative side effects from taking hormone replacement therapy. But I will say it again. If you want to live your best life as a menopausal female, you have to take hormone replacement therapy. But do it in steps first though, okay? Let's say you come back and your gut health is off and your liver is off and your hormones are low, don't just start, maybe progesterone. Progesterone might be okay to supplement right away, but not estrogen and not testosterone. Take care of the guts first, take care of the liver, colon, kidneys and all that, then start bringing, do it in steps. I used to be the coach, I would do everything at once, shotgun approach, because it just made logical sense to me. It can really backfire on you, okay? So make sure you are taking things in steps. So, there you have it for my, that might've been all over the place. Um, I had a podcast scheduled today and something come up. And so like, this was kind of like off the top of my head winging it. I didn't really prepare for this. Um, so please, please engage and please let me know because like, obviously this can, this might be too much or kind of all over the place. I would like to make an actual like educational whiteboard YouTube video on optimizing hormones and breaking it down instead of in podcast form. And when my head, you know, I've sat down and really put this project together. Um, but I just thought this would be a good one to good podcast to do today. Um, and get this out to you guys. So you can get a little bit of understanding of like hormones and what's going on in today's society. Um, and kind of how you can look at optimizing them and whatnot. And obviously, uh, it may not be the most informative thing right now because they say, oh yeah, work on your gut health, work on your liver. Okay, well, Curtis, how do I do that? Well, once again, too, that is a big um, you know, topic in itself. And it's something that over time, I may start making videos on and whatnot. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this is where you reach out for help if you don't understand this stuff because um, it, can, it can get very technical. And, and people that I work with can vouch for that. I myself can vouch for that. Um, but essentially, there is no reason that you cannot optimize your hormones, that you cannot have painless menstrual cycles, um, and that you cannot just, you know, take care of that body composition because that's what most women are worried about while still feeling your best and, and not disrupting, you know, your hormonal symphony, as we call it. Okay. 
Um, so as mentioned, engage you guys, like drop in the comments, shoot me a message, because if by doing that, it helps me learn more about my audience and then I can help my audience better because I could have completely missed something in this podcast that everybody's wondering, but no, nobody's kind of like engaging, which is fine, right? I'm just saying like, I can help you better with that engagement. So if there's something that you have been wondering, go ahead, pop it in the comments uh, or DM me if you want to be anonymous, anonymous, however, um, and I will be glad to answer them. Or at least now I know when I go into creating more podcasts and YouTube videos and such that I, it's like, okay, this is what people are wondering. Here's what I can do. Okay. So hope you guys all enjoyed that and take care everybody. Bye.